Well, good morning. You've got your copy of God's Word with you. Open with me to the book of Daniel this morning. We're going to be finishing chapter 6. And in getting back to Daniel 6 this morning, we are going to specifically see God rescue Daniel from the lion's den, a very popular uh, passage of scripture that most of us learn from our childhood. However, uh, before we turn to Daniel 6 this morning, I've got it on overhead here, I want us to just look at a few passages in God's Word this morning in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, by way of introduction. In Hebrews 11.1, we're going to see that there's a, what we have called, probably rightly, a hall of faith of individuals who have lived by faith, and chapter 11 in Hebrews um, is that. And it's a chapter... Hebrews chapter 11 that shows proof positive that one's faith in God is not simply intellectual. That's a very important thing for us to understand when we look at Hebrews chapter 11. That one's faith in God is not simply intellectual. Though it is that, it shows us that one's faith in God is ultimately evidenced in the life of the person claiming to have such faith in God to begin with. Hebrews 11 once says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Faith is an assurance of things we believe in that are beyond empirical evidence, that cause us to take certain actions and to make certain decisions in life based solely on the assurance of our faith. Charles Ryrie said, Faith gives reality and proof of things unseen, treating them as if they were already objects of sight rather than of hope. And this is why Christian faith isn't just intellectual assent to some historical facts, but is instead a gift from God to His children by which we are moved to live distinctly Christian lives because we believe in that which we have yet to see with our own eyes. And this is exactly what makes Daniel so extraordinary, his faith. As we've been seeing going through the book of Daniel, Daniel is a man, he was a young man, and now he's an older man who lives by his faith. He makes real-time, real-life decisions while his life is actually in the balance. He makes decisions about life because he believes in his God whom he has yet personally to see with his own eyes. Daniel's a man of faith, and in the book of Hebrews... This hall of faith, a mention of Daniel, and the events we're going to see in chapter 6 are referenced. We see in Hebrews 11.33 a reference to this. It says there in verse 33 of Hebrews 11, 
who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises. And here's, if you will, the shout out to the prophet Daniel, shut the mouths of lions. Now, we obviously know that it was God who shut the mouths of lions. He sent his angel who shut the mouths of the lions. But this is ultimately and irrevocably connected with Daniel and his faith in his God, who shut the mouths of lions. So one thing we know for certain about Daniel chapter 6, it's not just a lesson about the fact that God is more powerful than lions. I think we already know that from reading other such beautiful stories from the Word of God. Daniel 6 is a lesson about faith, of what it looks like to walk by faith and not by sight yet again, which is how God wants all of his children, his Judean children, children of all times and in all generations to live before him as men and women of faith. Amen? So we need to be asking ourselves this morning, Are we conducting our lives in living in accordance with His Word? Faith in God and faith in His Word that causes us to make real lifetime decisions based on our faith in God and His Word. Let's do that. Now, I want to pick up, we left off with this last week. I want to pick up in verses... Well, I didn't put my verses in there, verses 10 and 11. So I'm glad you opened your copy of God's Word to Daniel 6 because in the building of my PowerPoint, I left out these two verses right here, verses 10 and 11. We read these two verses last week, but I wanted to start off here again for a very particular reason. Notice again in your copy of God's Word, Daniel 6, verse 10 and 11. Now, when Daniel knew that the document was signed... He entered his house. Now, in his roof chamber, he had windows open toward Jerusalem. And he continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God as he had been doing previously. Verse 11, Then these men came by agreement and found Daniel making petition and supplication before his God. So again, here we have Daniel knowing that the document has been signed and that he he knew that if he he continued to pray, as was his custom, that the, the injunction that had been made would cause him to be put into a lion's den. Daniel had knowledge of that activity taking place and as the text says, Daniel continued... After having that knowledge, Daniel Daniel continued kneeling on his knees three times a day, praying and giving thanks before his God, as was his custom, as he had been doing previously. And all of this is in light of the fact that Daniel knew his prayers would ultimately probably lead him into a lion's den. So, having known that, if, if you will, this portion of the text here, perhaps making reference to the first prayer that Daniel made in light of knowing that. Now it says there again in verse 10, Now when he knew that the document was signed, the knowledge of that, he entered his house, he prays. 
What do you think his prayer might have been like on that occasion? Previously, as was his custom, praying three times a day, there's all sorts of things perhaps that Daniel was praying. But on this particular occasion, knowing the injunction was signed, he goes in and he prays. Now, obviously, we don't know what his prayer specifically was. I find it interesting, though, to think about that. I like to think that perhaps Daniel was praying one of the Psalms of David. And in particular, a Psalm of David like Psalm 57. Perhaps. Perhaps. When, when David himself was being hunted down by Saul and hid in the cave. And Psalm 57 seems to fit Daniel's circumstances very well. And it seems to fit the circumstances of most followers of God who find themselves in traverse circumstances and I bring this to our attention because one day it might fit the very circumstances that you and I find ourselves in as well and what might be our prayer when we find ourselves having an injunction signed into law that might prohibit us from the free expression of the practice of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ You are paying attention to world events, are are we not? And I don't mean to be an alarmist, because I know not the time, the day, nor the hour. But we have eyes to see. So let's make certain that we're perceiving and that we're recognizing that we don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. So what sort of prayer might we need to pray? And I like to think that perhaps Daniel was praying a prayer similar to this. Because you know, when we find ourselves at times in life when we don't know what to pray, oftentimes we discover that the psalmist have already prayed our prayer for us. And so all we need do is pray the psalmist prayer back to God, to, to pray the word of God and by faith know that he hears us when we pray. Listen to Psalm 57. Perhaps this might be a prayer that you find yourself praying someday. Be gracious to me, O God, be gracious to me. For my soul takes refuge in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until destruction passes by. I will cry to God most high, to God who accomplishes all things for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He reproaches him who tramples upon me. And then we have the usage of the Selah in the psalm here. And the use of the Selah, as you're reading through a proverb or a psalm and you see a Selah, it's a Hebrew word that gives the indication that this is a point where we need to slow down and to allow the truths of what have just been said a chance to sink into our thinking and thus into our hearts. And to not just recognize the goodness and the graciousness of God 
but to try to feel it. Because we are, after all, in a relationship with God. Be gracious to me, O God. I find myself in a great time of desperation and need. Be gracious to me. And my soul is going to take refuge in you and in you alone. God is an everlasting refuge, is he not? And I like to think that perhaps Daniel was saying such a prayer as this. An injunction has just been signed. If you continue praying, and he knew he was going to, and you get discovered, you will be thrown into a, a lion's den. And there was a 30-day injunction. Daniel was used to praying three times a day. It's not like he's going to just go into a closet and hide. As we discovered last week, he, he took his faith very publicly. He took refuge in God. Continuing it there in verse 3 after the Selah, God will send forth his loving kindness and truth. My soul is among lions. This is why I think perhaps Daniel could have perhaps been praying such a prayer. Now there's the lions here are analogous not to real lions, though Daniel's situation was very literal. I must lie among those who breathe forth fire, even the sons of men whose teeth are spears and arrows and their tongue a sharp sword. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be above all the earth. They have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They dug a pit before me. They themselves have fallen into the midst of it. Selah. David was in advance envisioning the deliverance of Yahweh himself and envisioning his enemies falling into the very trap that they dug in the pit in which they prepared for him. His soul was steadfast in the Lord. And then he continues, my heart is steadfast, O God, my heart is steadfast. In a time of trouble, after crying out to God, we see towards the end of David's prayer, and it would make great sense for Daniel here in this very circumstance and us someday as well. There comes a point where we have to have a recognition that our heart is steadfast in God. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing. Yes, I will sing praises. Awake, my glory. Awake, harp and lyre. I will awaken the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your loving kindness is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. Be exalted above the heavens, O God. Let your glory be exalted above all the earth. David ends. His prayer in Psalm 57 with an exuberant shout of steadfastness and of an awakening of the joy within his heart. Awake harp, awake lyre, I will awaken the dawn in giving thanks to God, come what may. David knew not the exact outcome of his circumstances, neither did Daniel and neither will we. But at the 
end of the day, our heart is steadfast. Our hope is in the Lord. Our God is a refuge in whom we can take hope. Because we, like Daniel, are people who live by faith. Having not seen, we've seen. And thus we act, and thus we believe. Amen? And so Daniel prayed and waited. Now look at verse 12. You can put down the word adversary. If you're a note taker. And so inclined. Adversary, verses 12, 12 through 14. Then they approached and spoke before the king about the king's injunction. Did you not sign an injunction that any man who makes a petition to any god or man beside you, O king, for 30 days is to be cast into the lion's den? The king replied, the statement is true according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which may not be revoked. Then, verse 13, they answered and spoke before the king. Daniel, who is one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the injunction which you signed, but keeps making his petition three times a day. Then, as soon as the king heard this statement, he was deeply distressed and set his mind on delivering Daniel. And even until sunset, he kept exerting himself to rescue him. So here we discover that the king realizes, finally, that he's been deceived and also he has been used by said commissioners and satraps. Remember from earlier in chapter 6, these were the very ones that were to cause no harm in the kingdom. They were to be kingdom protectors. They were his advisors, most trusted advisors in 6 and 7. Then these commissioners, notice what they did, how they trapped him. Then these commissioners and satraps came by agreement to the king. So they were in agreement with one another, and they came to the king and spoke to him as follows. King Darius, live forever. And right here, verse 7, we pointed this out last week. All the commissioners of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the high officials and the governors, have consulted together. All of them have consulted together that the king should establish a statute and enforce an injunction that anyone who makes a petition to any god or man beside you, O king, for 30 days shall be cast into the lion's den. And we have every reason to believe that the king thought that Daniel was in favor of this new law. We have every reason to believe that he believed Daniel was in on this because they said all of the commissioners and these other leading officials have consulted together and all of them are in agreement. But now he discovers that he's been used and fooled by these other two commissioners and satraps and that Daniel, the very man that he was wanting to elevate to put in charge perhaps of the entire kingdom it said earlier in chapter 6 is now in violation of this new 30-day injunction and although the king exerted great effort we see here at the end of this to find a loophole within the law of the Medes and Persians he was ultimately trapped in his own words because according to the law of the Medes and Persians such an injunction could not be revoked could not be revoked and so the king did the only thing he could do verses 15 through 17 my word there is the word anguish then these men came by agreement to the king and said to the king recognize O king that it's a law of the Medes and Persians that no injunction or statute which the king establishes may be changed clearly he was looking for a loophole 
He was trying to get Daniel freed from said indictment. Then the king gave orders, verse 16, and Daniel was brought in and cast into the lion's den. The king spoke and said to Daniel, it's like his last words to Daniel, your God whom you constantly serve will himself deliver you. A stone was brought and laid over the mouth of the den. And the king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signet ring of his nobles so that nothing would be changed in regard to Daniel. So in verse 16, the king says to Daniel, almost, my apologies, Daniel, I was unable to save you, but may your God, who is able, save you from the lion's den. The God whom you continually serve, he's going to have to save you. It's out of my hands. And I can't help but think that God is, through this encounter, communicating a very important and powerful message here to the nation of Israel and to God's people of all time. Here the nation of Israel was in subjection to the Gentile nations, the world powers. They're, they've been in, enslaved first under Nebuchadnezzar for 70 years, the head of gold Babylon, and now under the Medes and the Persians. And deliverance is yet to come, though it's coming very soon. It's a recognition that such deliverance is never going to be found in the power and the might of kings. But instead in the very God whom they serve. He alone is going to have to bring about their deliverance. And in the same way, this is true for all of God's people for all time as well. And as believers today in the Lord Jesus Christ, we need not look for deliverance in the powers of men, in the powers of of nations to bring ultimate deliverance for us in our greatest time of need. We need look only unto the Lord Jesus Christ for ultimate deliverance for our soul because our soul must be steadfast where? In Yahweh, in Christ our Lord. Eyes need only be focused on Jesus who it's said to be the author and perfecter, and here's that word again, of our faith. We need to be living by faith and not by sight. Amen? And continuing here, put down the word acquitted. From verses 18 down through verse 23, notice. Acquitted. Then the king went off to his palace and spent the night fasting. And no entertainment was brought before him, and his sleep fled from him. Then the king arose at dawn, at the break of day, and went in haste to the lion's den. When he had come near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God has sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, inasmuch as I was found innocent before him, and also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. Then the king was very pleased and gave orders for Daniel to be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury whatever was found on him because he had trusted in his God. Here again, 
we see as we did with Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah in the fiery furnace that God sent an angel. And in this case, this angel was attributed for the shutting of the mouth of the mighty lions. And we also see in verse 22 that Daniel declares, he says, I was found innocent before him. As he's talking to the, to the king, he says, I was found innocent before him, before his God, and also toward you, O king, I've committed no crime. Through Daniel, God shows that, that obedience to him, that obedience to God, the law of God, is that which supersedes the law of man. I was found innocent before him. And ultimately, this is a statement that matters more than any other statement that, that could ever be stated. He may have been found guilty of the injunction of the Medes and Persians, even though he says, I was also found innocent before you, O king. I've committed no crime. The, the crime of treason against the king, he's in essence letting him know, I was set up. I wasn't a part of that. I was not trying to do you harm, O king. I was trying to be a, a man who is in, in, in right standing not only with my God, but before you as well. And so the outcome of the matter, he says, he was found innocent before God, not guilty. So when it comes to the court of heaven, when we are found walking in obedience by faith to God and to his word, there may be a, a, an injunction on earth that might say, you know, guilty, convicted as charged. But we want to make certain that we are like those in the courts, like Daniel here, that in the courts of heaven, we can hear the word not guilty at some point in time. We want to be innocent, as was Daniel here. And there's always good precedent and biblical reasons to, to broaden out this, a biblical perspective of such deliverance as we see here with Daniel in the lion's den. Uh, when we're dealing with a passage like this, perspective is always very significant because while we know that God is capable of saving from the lion's den 100% of the time, we also know empirically that he doesn't always choose to glorify himself that way. In this occasion, he did. In other occasions, he may choose not to do so, and we need to recognize this and have our heads screwed on rightly with regard to this. So that if we perhaps see God not behaving the way we think he should be behaving, because we have some passages that we like to run to in the scriptures and say, well, God did this here, and he says if we have enough faith, he will do that for us also. Ergo, he didn't. And we've seen people turn from God and turn from their faith. Notice this passage from 1 Peter chapter 3 by way of perspective. Peter writes, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Does that not seem to fall right in line with rescuing from a lion's den, right? If you prove zealous for what is good, staying with God's word... And walking according to faith and according to God's statutes, who is there to harm you? 
the obvious Christian answer is nobody, right? And in one sense, that's absolutely factual. No one can harm you. The best thing they might could do for you is to give you an untimely earthly death from earth's perspective because absent from the body, present with, have they really hurt you? Have they hurt you? I mean, so perhaps you didn't black out for the first five seconds of that great intense physical pain and say, oh, that hurt for five whole seconds before I just went out and I was gone. I, I, I get it. It's a terrifying thought. But nonetheless, they can't harm you. Harming the body, fearing those who harm the body, the Bible says don't do it, but fear him who can cast both body and soul into hell. That's who you fear. So ultimately, who can harm you if you prove zealous for what's good? No one. But, and here's where it, the rubber hits the road. This is where it gets back to the, the, the realization of, you know, feet on the ground. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, for living a Christ-like life, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation. And do not be troubled. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts. Our heart is steadfast, O God. Our heart is steadfast. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you yet, and notice, with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. For it is better if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. And in most occurrences, with hooves on the ground on planet Earth, that's why we have a trail of martyrs. And the blood of those martyrs have come down through 2,000 years now because God has willed it so that his kids would suffer. He could shut the mouth of every lion every single time and rescue everybody from every fiery furnace every single time and heal every disease and remove every cancer and remove every case of dementia, everything, every time, 100%, and that's the way God's supposed to perform, right? It's not. And to recognize that is not a lack of faith. We are not lacking in God's capacity or ability to do whatsoever He pleases. But we have eyes of faith to see what He has done and how He has been pleased to glorify His name through the suffering of His saints for over 2,000 years. And we just need to be okay with that. Because it may be tomorrow that I get my diagnoses that I have some terminal cancer. My heart will still be steadfast. I'm still going to be a man of faith. It wasn't because I lacked faith that I got some cancer that might be my untimely death. There is no such thing as an untimely death. Our days were numbered in the heavens. Either God knows all things or he knows nothing. 
And it says he knows the beginning from the end. While I was being formed in my mother's womb, I have to live that way and believe that way. So whether it's an unwanted cancer that causes my death or I choke to death on a Twinkie watching the next Super Bowl, either way, God's sovereign over the days that have been ordained for my life. And if God should will it so that you suffer for doing what is right rather than doing for what is wrong, let that be so. And in the meantime, what? You keep your good conscience. You be a good soldier. You overcome all the way to the end. You persevere all the way to the end. Listen, history says that Peter was crucified upside down on a cross for his faith in Jesus Christ. If God was going to rescue anybody else from a lion's den, wouldn't it have been Peter? Obviously it would have been. We can't hold Peter's tunic. He's so holy, right? The very one that denied Christ and went out and wept bitterly, Peter. We need to remember that not all believers get rescued from the lion's den, although in this case it did. Because, because brothers and sisters, I believe a day is coming. Jesus said so in Matthew 24. I believe a day is coming when the people of God, believers in Jesus Christ, will be handed over to tribulation. Go and read the broader context in the Olivet Discourse. Then, Jesus said, then, there's a time that's coming, they will deliver you. And these are the people of God. These are Christians. These aren't just, this isn't just the unbelieving nation of Israel. These are believing Christians. They will deliver you to tribulation and they will what? They will kill you, and you will be hated by all nations because of my name. Because of your steadfast assurance and your steadfast hope in the name of Jesus Christ. I don't know when that day is going to come precisely. Jesus just says that you need to be knowledgeable of this and have a recognition of this. And this is why... Doing 1 Peter 3.15 is essential. This is why doing 1 Peter 3.15 is essential of sanctifying Christ as Lord in your heart. And when you give your defense, you do it with gentleness and with reverence. But with all that being said, because there may come a day when you find yourself needing to pray psalm 57 never forget all believers do get rescued from the second death never forget that to those who overcome you will be rescued from the second death revelation 2:11 and also, you will be granted to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God, Revelation 2.7. These are things that are absolutely true of God's children. And it seems like to me that being rescued from the second death and eating from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God, I feel like I just got rescued from every lion's den ever. And I hope you might feel the same way as well. And thus we live by what? Faith, not by sight. But we know he's coming again.
Amen? Now let's finish chapter 6. Keep looking. Verse 24, put down the word accursed. The king then gave orders. And they brought those men who had maliciously accused Daniel and they cast them, their children, and their wives into the lion's den. And they had not reached the bottom of the den before the lions overpowered them and crushed all their bones, devoured them. You know, it was the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, 19 that said, Never take your own vengeance, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, and this is an important recognition, For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And we as the people of God must never forget that ultimate justice is not only a possibility but very much a reality and someday that reality will be our reality. Again, this is why Peter said in verse 15, make your defense with gentleness and reverence. Because one day, one day perhaps soon in accord with Peter's accounting of time, where he said one day is like a thousand years to the Lord and a thousand years like a day. God will repay and ultimate justice will prevail to the glory of his name. Let's leave room for the vengeance of the Lord for his wrath will come. And by the way, having used Revelation chapter 2, If you want a good reference for the recognition and the reality of the wrath of God to come, go to Revelation chapter 6 and read through the seals. And when you get to the sixth seal that's opened and John peers into the sixth seal, he he sees the terrifying day of the wrath of the Lamb that has come. And the great men of the earth, it says, will be hiding in caves and asking for the rocks to fall upon them in that day. Leave room for the wrath of God. Now, write down the word announcement, 25 through verse 28. Then Darius the king wrote to all the peoples, nations, and men of every language. He's now making his proclamation, his announcement. I needed an A word. May your peace abound, verse 26. I make a decree that in all the dominion of my kingdom, men are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel, for he is the living God and enduring forever. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed, and his dominion will be forever. He delivers and rescues and performs signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has also delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. Here we have another public proclamation of God's greatness and sovereignty from a pagan king. And we need to make note here, Of how God, when he wants his name to be made much of among the heathens of the world. And I don't say this loosely, so don't misunderstand what I'm saying here. But when God wants to make his name much among the heathen of the world, how many individuals did he use to do that? Yet again. He just used one. 
Now, I'm not saying there's no need for the evangelism of the nations. Go. If God puts it on your heart to evangelize the nations and to take the gospel to people who have not heard, go in obedience to the word of God. But I'm saying when God wants to make evangelism in his name a priority, we see that he can do it with one fell swoop as he has done yet again. All peoples, all nations, men of every language, you are to fear and tremble before the God of Daniel. Why? He says, for he is the living God and he's the one who endures forever. He's eternal. Cyrus is starting to get a recognition of the eternality of God. And did you notice how it seems that Daniel must have informed Cyrus of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had? Are you, did you pick up on some of that? The dream that Nebuchadnezzar had in chapter 2? I brought it for you again. Don't you love it when I remind you of this dream of t- chapter 2? But it seems that Daniel must have informed Cyrus of this, informing him that, hey, Cyrus, there was a head of gold. You, you chop that off, but don't, don't get too cocky because this is all you are right here. And it seems that Cyrus is somehow making recognition of this, and perhaps it's because of what he said there in verse 27. You see, Cyrus recognized that Daniel's God delivered and rescued him from the power of the lions, and I think Cyrus understood that that's humanly impossible, and that there was no God that could ever do this. No God is ever rescued like Daniel's God. He must be an all-powerful God. And so I think when Daniel said to him, hey, and by the way, did I tell you about Nebuchadnezzar's dream? Don't get too arrogant and cocky. He turned Daniel into an animal and he ate grass for seven years. You want to go there, bro? I think Cyrus is like, no, I don't think so. But notice, notice where we see this at the very end of Cyrus's declaration. And his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed... All the nations, kingdoms of the earth, like chaff on the threshing floor. They vanish. And it said there in chapter 2 that the rock that struck the feet became a mighty mountain. It says there in chapter 2, the words in the text say that filled the whole earth. That's what the text said. I ain't making it up. It's what the scripture said. I'm going with it. And I think that we see here, where did we go? Wrong way. Cyrus started believing in this. His kingdom was one that will not be destroyed and his dominion will be how long? This is what Cyrus is declaring to all people, language, nations, everywhere. You guys need to fear the God of Daniel. Wow. <laughs> I think Cyrus started become, perhaps started moving in the direction like a Nebuchadnezzar and started recognizing that perhaps there's no God like Yahweh. Amen? Because there is no God like our God. And then let's wrap up chapter 6, verse 28. So this Daniel enjoyed success in the reign of Darius and in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. Once again, God has honored his servant Daniel, whom he knew would be faithful, come what may. And you notice this right here. So this Daniel, the very Daniel we're talking about, what does it say he did? Enjoyed success yes in Daniel's own way he must have experienced the American dream because he enjoyed success (laughs) 
The, the Bible's concept of success must be radically different than ours on occasion, right? Do you think Daniel was just going, yes, I'm getting deported as an 11-year-old boy away from my home and into Babylon? And What was it that enabled Daniel and caused Daniel to enjoy success? Because Daniel was a young man and then an old man who lived by faith, not by sight. He trusted in the very words of God. And whatever God's word said, he did it. And therein lies true success. Regardless of the circumstances that surround you in your life. And I don't think any of you would probably trade yours for Daniel's. Let's be like a Daniel in this regard too. Let's live in such a way that we take God's word earnestly and at face value and we do what it says. In other words, live by faith because therein is true success. Daniel enjoyed success even through the reign of Cyrus, into the reign of Cyrus. Amen and amen. I love me some Daniel. And I pray to God that he would make us and fortify our hearts with hearts of faith like this. Let's pray.